0: 1 Samuel 18 verse 4 is my text verse where Jonathan gives David five gifts. Jonathan gives David five gifts. And what it means, this is a busy and a big passage of scripture. I want to preach this morning Jonathan's gifts to David and what it means to us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. It is a blessing to be in church. What a joy it is to open the door on Sunday morning, to walk through the building and to pray and to spend time with you in anticipation of folks being in Sunday school and then in church. And this is just the highlight of the week. This this helps us to get our week started right, to put you in the center and in the focus of our life. And I pray that today the message would be exactly what we need to put you at the center of our life. I pray for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as I preach in Jesus' name. Amen. In the previous chapter, we have the big story of David killing Goliath. One of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. There are several important stories before, several during, and certainly this is an important event after David kills Goliath. It's important to note, David is not old enough to be in Israel's army. He is not there as a soldier. He is not old enough to be in the army. This would be like the bringing a boy from the Little League to bat in the Major League World Series and him hitting a home run. I mean... David has done something extraordinary. David is just a young lad. I don't know his age. I'm going to guess he is between 16 and 18 years old. And I, I, I somewhere right in that age, 17 to 18. He is not at the age of 20, which is what was required for them to go into uh, the army of Israel. Of course, David was a shepherd Now, David was a serious-minded shepherd. He wasn't there just because he had to be. He was a serious-minded shepherd. It's important to know what kind of young man that David is. A bear came to get the sheep that David was caring for, and he risked his life to kill the bear and save the sheep. Now, 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 that's a big risk. He killed a lion so that he could protect the sheep. So David has an amazing heart. He has an amazing heart of love, amazing heart of giving, an amazing heart of leadership. In fact, the Bible says that David, uh, his heart was after the Lord. He had a heart like God's. And so David is taking care of the sheep and Jesse, his father, says, David, uh, your brothers are in battle against the Philistines and I want you to go. I want you to see how they're doing and I want you to come back and tell me how your brothers are faring in the war. Now, now, you know the story, but it's important to understand when we get to chapter 18, and David comes down, and at this time, uh, the champion fighter has come out and has issued a challenge and he says you send us your best fighter to fight against me and uh, if if you can kill me we'll serve you uh, which was a lie it always is uh, that don't ever make a bargain with the devil he never keeps his end of the deal uh, give your life to God and forget making deals with the devil uh, you'll always come up short did I say that out loud you'll always come up short making deals with the devil and so David goes down and they're, they're afraid of Goliath and they can't find any. Anybody to fight Goliath Now David's not a warrior at this point he he's not a warrior he is taking care of the sheep he's a young man and David makes a statement is there not a cause And you know the story, David is offered Saul's armor, uh, but he said, I've not proven this. And David takes the slingshot, and there is a reason that he has a slingshot and not a sword. And I'll come come back to that later in the message. And he has his slingshot, and he comes to Goliath, and and as you know, the story goes, he he hits Goliath with the, the stone from the slingshot, and then he goes and he takes Goliath's sword, and he cuts Goliath's head off, and he comes back across the field with the head of the giant in his hand. I mean, this is a young man. He's not a general. He's not even a private first class. Not even old enough to be in the army, and he just killed not just a Philistine. He killed the champion. The champion, he kills him. And when you come to the end of chapter 17, Saul says, I want to know whose boy that is. Now, I want to know who is that boy's daddy. I want to know about that boy. I want to know about that fellow. So in chapter 18, he brings David uh, to his uh, office or to his throne, to his kingdom, to his palace, whatever it was. And Jonathan is there. Now, Jonathan is the son of Saul. He's the son of Saul. Now, Now, I want you to think about what's going on here. And when he hears from David about him, and when he is finished speaking to Saul, Jonathan is so impressed with David. He gives him more than clothes. He he gives him more than a friendship. He gives him more than the sword and more than the, uh, more than the bow and more than the... It's called a girdle, but it was a holster to hold uh, the sword. He gives him more than that. He gives him his soul. He gives him his allegiance. And I'll go through those in just a moment. Uh, Jonathan recognizes that there's something very, very special about David. Now... Here's another story, sort of parenthetical, that happened uh, even before. If you remember, Saul has been rejected as being king. Now, that's not been publicly announced yet. God is upset at Saul, and he rejects him as being king. He tells Samuel, I want you to go anoint a new king. I've chosen a new king. When Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, this is all important, He said, God, if I tell them I'm there to anoint a king, Saul or somebody in Saul's army will kill me because Saul's still sitting on the throne. He said, don't tell him why. You just go anoint him. You pour the oil on his head. And so that's what happens. He pours the oil on his head. He goes back to the field, and all this has happened before. And David knows he's been anointed, and something special has happened in David's life, but nobody knows exactly what it is. In fact, Jonathan doesn't know uh, what God has done in David's life. And so he gives him five gifts. I want you to look at verse number four. I hope you're still with me. hope I haven't rambled and hope you understand you're still with me. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his garments. Robe and garments, two different things. His sword, his bow, and his girdle. Or that would have been the holster that he had. Let me go through those. What was his robe? Now, who is Jonathan? Jonathan is the son of the king. So the robe that he wore would have some type of significance that when folks saw Jonathan, they would recognize that he was not only the son of the king, he was heir to the throne. Now we've seen seen some of this going on with the new coronation of King Charles and and we've seen some of this and there is some uh, significance in the clothes they wear and the behavior and all of that. Jonathan is wearing a robe uh, that is given to him by King Saul. Jonathan is heir to the throne. But you know what he's doing? He is saying, I want to give my identity... To you, David. Now, Jonathan's older than David. Jonathan, in fact, he is old enough, he is an experienced soldier. And that's what the garments indicate. He gave him not only the robe to say, I am the son of Saul, I am heir to the throne. Here's what he's saying, I'm giving you the robe, you're going to be heir to the throne. Now, Jonathan didn't know it, but God did. God knew what was happening, and then he gave him his garments. Now, his garments would have included whatever type of clothing that they would wear to signify uh, their position in the army. As we've gone through graduations the last couple of weeks, they've talked about the regalia. They've talked about the color of robes and the, the, what are they called? Huh? The hoods, and then what do the high school kids wear? Sash? Uh, Cord sold in a cord, and and and, and the color indicated—you uh, can tell I've not worn one. Uh, the color indicated the honor uh, in which uh, they graduated, and so it shows uh, their level of education. I'm not wearing one today, but anyway. Uh, uh, but 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 Jonathan gave his garments to David. He said, "I want folks to know you are not just heir to the throne." you have a position in the army as far as I'm concerned. And then he gave him his sword. Now I don't have time to go into this. I don't believe there are any swords left in Israel. In fact, I think there may just be two swords at this time because the Bible says that there were no smiths in the land The Philistines had taken over. And I preached a message from this one time called Gun Control in Israel. It didn't work then and it won't work now. You may want to look that sermon up. Uh, But but they didn't have any swords. They had two. One belonged to Saul and one belonged to Jonathan. And when they went to war, they had to take their plowshares. And i will not go into all of that story. But he gives him his sword. Now to give him his sword is to give him something that no other soldier would have. David didn't have a sword. David learned to use a slingshot so he gave him his sword not only did he give him his sword he gave him his bow if you took the time to study 2nd Samuel chapter 1 chapter 1 you would find that that bow would be a prized possession of Jonathan now a sword calls for close combat a bow and arrow allows for distance, and he would have been in those days a sniper, if you will, and could uh, and could inflict damage at a distance. He takes his bow and he gives that to him. Then he takes the holster, the Bible calls the girdle, that holds that sword and holds that bow, and he gives that to David. Now I want you to imagine this. Here's a shepherd boy that comes with a lunch, for his brothers. A slingshot. He kills the giant. Now he has the robe, the garments of royalty. He has the sword. He has the bow. He has the girdle. He has all of that. Now why am I preaching this and what does this matter to us? Jonathan is picturing here for us someone who would give up their life and their position for another. He pictures the Christian coming to the place that they say, I want to yield my will and my life to someone else greater than me. I want to yield my life to the will of God. It's important you understand this. Man is made a free moral agent. God does not make us worship Him. It's interesting to see the nature of animals and how God made animals to work. They, They all work alike. They all have their own nature. God gave us and made us a free moral agent. We can know about God. We can be born again. And when we receive Christ as Savior, that dead spirit is revived. We can now fellowship with God. But you get to determine how much you're going to yield your life to God. You can live it selfishly or you can live it sacrificially. I'm preaching to you today that God says the best life to live is for you not to live it selfishly, but for you to live your life sacrificially in the will of God. Now, we live in a culture of selfishness. We live in a culture where you've, you've heard nothing talked about any more than these words my rights. Everybody talks about my rights and our Creator is forgotten. And we've forgotten the fact and even the consta- even the declaration of independence declares we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and we are uh, given by that Creator certain inalienable rights and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we've come to the place in our nation, our focus is so much on our rights, we've forgotten the Creator. In fact, we've gotten so far from that, we teach that man's not created but he evolved from lower animal life and he can do whatever he wants to do I'm here to tell you today God is your creator God is the savior of the world and as savior of the world we ought to consider giving our life to him and letting him be our master rather than us being our own Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Paul writes to the Christians that were at Rome and he is begging them to consider what I'm asking you to consider today saying, Lord, I do not want my will I want your will. Now, if we think about this, it's not as difficult as you think because God made me. God loves me. God loves me so much that He gave His Son to die on the cross and redeem me back to Him. I belong to Him, but I ought to make Him the Lord or ought to make Him the master of my life. And say, Lord... What is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to live life? Notice the Bible says in Romans 12, verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world tell you what to do. Don't, uh, I hear folks say, well, no preacher's going to tell me what to do and they go get in line with 7 billion people. No, I'd rather God tell me what to do than the world dictate everything I think, say, or do. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, and here it is, that you may prove. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I'm going to ask you a question today. Are you yielded to the will of God for your life? Now, we need people of all walks of life. Policemen, lawyers, doctors, preachers, missionaries, farmers, businessmen. We we, we need folks of all walks of life. But you want to make sure you're walking in God's will for your life. And that's what Paul's saying here. The truth is foreign to many Christians today. Many see God as a great vending machine in the sky. Oh God, give me, give me, give me. And we never consider, God, what is it that you want me to do? What have you prepared me to do? What have you ordained me to do? What was my childhood and teen years, no matter how blessed or challenged, no no matter what I had or didn't have? I I, I said to the uh, students, to the graduates on Friday night, John Wooden was the most successful coach. In fact, he received coach of the century award. And the one thing that changed his life was a gift he received for his high school graduation. The monetary value of that gift was one penny. His dad took a three by five card and wrote down seven statements on that three by five card and gave it to him and John Wooden learned life is not about how much I can make or earn or control. Life is about who I am what kind of person I am. And my challenge to you today is to look at life as Jonathan did and to realize God has put his hand on David. There's something special about David. In fact, the Bible says that Saul put David over the entire army. He made him a five-star general as a young man and everyone respected him. And Jonathan is showing us a picture to say that Jesus coming into our life is not just to ask something to our life but he ought to be the king and the master and the Lord of our lives that's what the disciples of the Lord Jesus did as one by one Jesus would go to him and he would say follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and they did they left their position their places their work and they followed Christ Let me tell you a story that is familiar to many. In fact, I've used this story. It's been a challenge in my life. In 1904, William Borden, he graduated from high school in Chicago and was heir to the Borden family fortune. And so he was born a very wealthy young man. For his high school graduation present... William Borden's parents gave their 16-year-old, a very smart young man at 16 years of age, they paid for a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the hurting people of the world that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before he finished his trip around the world, he wrote a letter home that said, I desire to give my life as a missionary to God. One friend expressed such disbelief that he said, Bill is throwing himself away as a missionary. In response, William Borden took his Bible, opened it to the flyleaf, and wrote down two words, No Reserves. After his trip, he arrived on the campus of Yale University, 1905. He had a spiritual fire burning in his heart for the Lord as he wanted the world to hear the gospel. That men are lost. They're going to die and go to hell if they don't trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and the gift of eternal life is so easy but they must hear the story. He went to Yale University with such a spiritual fire burning in his heart and uh, Bill Borden made an entry in his personal journal that said this, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. There were 1,300 students in Yale in 1905. William Borden started a prayer meeting, and that prayer meeting was just by invitation. Folks would invite others to come, and it grew to the place that 1,000 of the 1,300 students of Yale attended the prayer meeting led by William Borden every day, a revival at Yale University. Although he was a millionaire... He wrote, he realized always that it must be about his father's business and not waste time in the pursuit of amusement. He graduated from Yale. He turned down a very lucrative job offer. He wrote two more words under those words, no reserves. He wrote these words, no retreats. Borden went to graduate I'm sorry went to graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished, he sailed for China. On his way to China, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While he was there, William Borden, age 25, contracted spinal meningitis and in one month from a healthy 25-year-old man he was dead. When the news of William Whiting Borden's death was cabled back to the United States, the story was carried by every, by every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, he gave away himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice those words written by taylor in her introduction to william borden's biography was borden's untimely death a waste well not in god's perspective because prior to his death borden had written two more words in the flyleaf of his bible underneath the words no reserves and no regrets or, or, or no retreats he wrote the words no retreat No regrets. And Borden was saying, the most important thing I can do with my life is to not live it as I desire, but to live it as God desires. Now look at me. You and I do not know how long we have to live. We don't know. I told the story of John Wooden that lived to be almost 100 years of age, 99 years and 8 months. I told the story of William Borden that lived to be 25 years old. I do not know how long I have to live, but I know this. I only have one life to live. And I want to do as Jonathan did to David and say, God, I want to give you my life and you tell me how to live. You tell me your will for my life. In the days of a Roman rule... If man didn't have the means to live and provide for himself and for his family, he could sell himself as a servant or as a slave. He would work for his master and provide not only a place to live, but the master would provide wages for him to care for his family. Under Roman rule, when a slave had served a specific amount of time or earned an amount of money, he was set free. He would have his own freedom. He would have his own identity. Don't miss this. Sometimes a slave would be set free, but they would have been treated by their master so well, they would say, I don't want to be free. Can I stay here and keep being your servant? they were referred to as a bond slave or a bond servant. When Paul wrote the book of Romans to the Christians at Rome, he introduced himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You know what he was saying? I was once bound in sin and headed for a devil's hell. God gave His only begotten Son to pay for my sin and set me free. I was free from my sin. I was free from the payment of sin and I could live life any way I wanted to live life. If I wanted I could live any way I wanted free from the penalty of sin. But God was so good to me, I could not go out in my own freedom. I decided to live my entire life as a servant of the one that had set me free I am glad to be a bondservant of Christ and I'm preaching today that if you and I don't give our lives to do the will of God what position what place is going to be filled by someone not in the will of God we need preachers We need missionaries. We need evangelists. We need Sunday school teachers. We need businessmen as many of you are. And this week I've heard from several that have had the opportunity to witness to someone else and bring others to church. We need school teachers, but we need every person to be in the will of God. This graduation month, and young people were giving their testimony about what they were going to do in life. And it doesn't matter to me what an individual does. whether they're, It doesn't matter. And we have folks from every walk of life. The key is you just want to be where God wants you to be. For there's no joy in life when we do what we want to do against the will of God. Let me read these verses to you quickly, and I'll finish. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Bible is telling us that Jesus did not have to leave the portals of glory. He did not have to become man and live on the sin cursed earth, but that was the will of the Father, and he yielded to the will of the Father, and salvation's plan was complete as Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 9, and he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Nobody should be afraid to say, God, what is your will? for my life. That's where I want to live every day. Stand with me if you will. Head